HavanaDeprived.com is proud to present Top 8 Magic Podcast with Michael J. Flores and Brian David Marshall. Brought to your ears thanks to FaceToFaceGames.com. All right, so I did not know this, but Pro Tour champion and also my teammate on Team Ultra Pro, Craig Wesco moved to like one block away from where I used to live. I didn't know that specific detail, but I knew he was in New York. I mean, I've seen it, it, him it, it, because I go to FNM and, yeah. and other like events around town, and, and there's Craig. Some of us aren't too big time to go to FNM like Mike Flores. I, I, so this episode is titled "Mike Pops His FNM Cherry," <laughs> and I did. I, I so it's been 20 years. I've never played in an FNM, but I need to gear up for limited for the Pro Tour. And so I, you know, FNM seemed like Pro Tour caliber limited competition. Yeah. <laughs> our, 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 our pod with three kids who had all <laughs> learned how to play Magic within the last two days. That is true. That I, seemed like a good prep. My first round opponent, I had to remind to draw multiple times. I lost the match. Uh, so, but happy endings. I, I won. I, I won FNM. I'm now the proud owner of not only five packs of Magic Origins, which I will use for further drafting, but a foil pack to exile. That seems pretty sweet. Craig, did you win a foil pack to exile? I did not. So what you're saying is you, a multiple Grand Prix Top 8 competitor and Pro Store champion, were outperformed at FNM by me. Uh, this is correct. <laughs> I, I am an FNM champion, Brian. <laughs> this feels so good. <laughs> I think I don't have to go to the poster. I don't think he gets any higher than this. It might not. <laughs> For me. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you enjoy this. <laughs> All right, so. Uh, you don't want to, I mean, Craig can tell you this. You don't want to waste your wins too early, Mike. Oh, my God, you're right. When the Dennis Vitagiris. Oh, no. <laughs> Made the top eight of Rotor Avicen Restore. Are you attacking me with statistics? He did not win a match of Limited in preparation for that program. As you know, statistics is my favorite thing. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> like, I once claimed to be a basketball fan, and you said, You're a fan of spreadsheets, nerd. True. <laughs> Why don't you just spin the propeller on top of your hat some more? The rest of us are watching basketball games. But, yeah, so you lost, really? The funny, the funny thing is you were actually wearing a hat with a propeller on it at the time. I bought a hat with a propeller on it. I want to be identified by members of my tribe. I lost to uh, Sphinx's tutelage. Deck. Re- so, Wait, here. really? Yep. I had that in my sideboard of my deck. I, so uh, here's a cool thing about FNM. and uh, I made my deck originally with some red cards in it because, like, I took the red cards early. I, I actually put on... Um, Mike, I, I, I've got to interrupt you. I yeah. want to hear about Sphinx's tutelage. Well, this is, so, so this is the thing. Why does Tomohiro Saito have Sphinx's tutelage in his constellation deck? I am incredibly puzzled by this. That is not worth a fourth color, is it? I mean, you lost to it in uh, FNM, so... Yeah, I, I, he decked me two out of the three games with Sphinx's tutelage. Is this a powerful strategy so, so we should be aware how, of? Explain how the card Maybe. works. So whenever the opponent draws a card... Uh, Whenever you draw a card, right? Well, it, right. It, it's my opponent's. Okay. Uh, okay. So he has the Sphinx's Tutelage in play. Whenever he draws a card, I mill two, and if those two share the same color, I continue. So it kind of like grindstone. No, I didn't, I didn't realize it grindstone. Yeah. Yes, it does that. And so, and you could also pay six mana to draw a card, discard a card with it. So it's a highly efficient card drawing engine as well. <laughs> well, I mean, you laugh, but 
there's a lot of things that have incidental card drop. And so you just like basically seven turns and I'm just dead. Right. So like it's his deck like full of like 06 walls and like one three blockers and uh, not so much. It was a lot of uh, guys that bounce stuff. Oh, those are good. So he was kind of uh, keeping the tempo. And yeah, and then he like milled all my answers to Sphinx's tutelage. <laughs> and I, I sideboarded into 43 cards. <laughs> I didn't want to dilute my deck too much because after that it was you kind might of. Not uh, try. Yeah. yeah, and also just like let's say I sat into like 52 cards, and I'm just like drawing these garbage unplayables and just like losing to his other cards. I, I I had a similar experience to that uh, at a nationals where my opponent had like the absolute bomb version of the Jace's Erasure deck. Like he had like seven Jace's Erasure or something, and I had drafted what I thought at the time was the absolute best deck in I had ever drafted in that format. I had like five Land of War Elves and, and uh, Birds of Paradise and like a ton of insane three casting cost cards. Like, like a ton of scroll thieves. Like I, I was like super happy with my deck. My deck was so good. The cultivate didn't make my deck, nor either of the fireballs. So I had like two fireballs and a cultivate in my sideboard, right? So I, sh- so I showed V, and he's just like, it cannot be right to have this many elves in a bird of paradise and not play a mountain to play these fireballs. And I'm like, look, man, this deck is too good. It's too good. Too good as a two color deck. Can't possibly play a stupid third color. And so I got demolished in game one by this Jason's Erasure guy. And I'm like, oh, my God, I have exactly the excuse to just side in some mountains. And you have exactly the excuse to make your deck the, the correct deck. lineup. Oh, tell you, my 53-card deck was full of bombs. There was, like, no, no thinning in card quality. <laughs> but actually, like, Scroll Thief is not very good against that. Yeah. The opponent's just like, all right, I'm going to make a deal with you, Mike. I'll side out all my mill cards if you side out all your good cards. Yeah, I would totally make that deal. That deck was really good, man. I don't know what to tell you. So so, so you, you lose to a card like that when you're playing? Like, do you make a note of that? Do you say, this is now something I might be able to do while playing? Like, my, like what would have to happen for you? Is that a card you would ever consider playing and draft yourself now? Yeah, well, fortunately, the advantage to being on a team that's good at limited is I'll report back what I find, and this is one of the things I found tonight. Right. And then if they're like, all right, no, that card's garbage, we've all tried it, then it's like, okay, that was probably a corner case. Right. Whereas if they're all like, yeah, we've had similar experiences, then, yeah, of course I would play it at the Pro Tour. Yeah. But other people might not be expecting it at all, right? So it becomes very, like, abnormally powerful. Like, the thing about cards like that, though, is that you can randomly get, like, beat up by, uh, like, what's the, what's the Endrick Stomp Power? Uh, whatever it's the new one, the new Indrix. Yeah. People will just have cards like that in their deck because they're pretty good, right? Right. And then, well, I guess, I guess, like losing a Sphinx's yeah, Revelation yeah. isn't as bad as like losing the only the claustrophobia, which was the only target in my deck, which happened to me tonight. <laughs> Um, yeah, I guess that card, you, you probably always play the 4-4, four, four, right? I think you do. 4-4s four, are good. I mean, you actually, you don't always do anything. You'd have to have, like, a pretty crazily high level of, of creature capability to not I play th- it, I though. think there's enough incidental enchantments. Like, even if you're killing a uh, Stratus Walk or something, yeah. you're, it's still worth it. Um... We're gonna go to the park. Yeah. All right, so uh, used to go this way anyway to the A, right? So, I mean, back in the, the early historical days of top uh, of top A Magic, we we often uh, 
podcasted from Times Square. Yeah. So I walked by a, a beat-up, closed-down Yoshinoya earlier this week. Oh, no. Yeah, I, there was another one. It's on the other side of town. So that for Reese Perry or anyone else who's been listening for 10, 10 or so years, remember the Yoshinoya hook hands days. Um, so anyway, uh, I really like this format. Craig, do you like this format? There's more chairs with uh, black I'm excited. Do you like this format? I've only played it once. Tonight was my... Oh, this is your first time? Yeah, this, this is my cherry, too. It's not for <laughs> I, I Well, I, I played last night, and I uh, I went one and two twice. The comp- competition was a little bit better. <laughs> so, uh, so what did you draft? Drafted blue-white flyers. Okay. I had two of the... Uh, blue-white uncommon that gives all your flyers plus one plus one. That was the deck I just had, too. Brian had that. I passed all those to him. Yeah. I had basically mono three and four drops. So apparently two drops are at a premium in this format. Yeah, they're really good. Like, the the ability to come out on turn two uh, seemed really advantageous because the the guys that cost three and even four mana that are pretty good are the same size as the guys that cost two mana. Yeah, you're, right? you're paying four to block a two-two for two. Like, you've got <laughs> and they, they have parodies of that. Like, think how good is it? Sylvan Messenger is that the name of the guy that flips yeah. over four elves? Like, uh, Sylvan Messenger is an excellent card, and also, what's the guy who scries two? Uh, 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 Lanoir that Those are both excellent cards, and like they're just the same size as any random bear in terms of combat. Well, unless that bear has renowned and he already got through. Yeah, yeah. Which is the problem. Uh, so, you know, a card I, th- I I was very impressed with is the two one goblin that gives something unblockable. Subterranean Scout is excellent because it gets yeah. it gets a renowned guy in once, and once the renowned guy is in once, like that guy could single handedly dominate a limited game. Like, it, either the guy who makes all your other guys plus one, plus one, or the guy who's uh, three, three, first strike. Like, th- those are really yeah, difficult to block. I, I, I had the, uh, I had a relics, Relic Seeker. Yeah. Last night, and I, and I subterranean scouted him through, hit, got the sigil. Okay. You, I don't remember, it's the sigil or something, but it's like, basically, all your... basically all your guys get exalted. Oh, if oh it, wow. And so you get that guy, and then I equipped, I equipped, like, a tutu, and then played another subterranean scout a turn later, and just... Attacks for like twelve. I think Craig <laughs> yeah, of all people kind of has got some respect for a random piece of equipment and, and a two-two white guy. Yeah, pretty much <laughs> every tournament I do well in has it's like either a trusty machete, a mortar pod, or a civic saber. He's like he's like Brian. Did you steal my dream journal? Like yeah, I thought that card was good. I hope it's good. I have to reprint that card, right? Isn't it sigil? Yeah. Uh, no, I guess not. It feels similar name-wise, I think, to something. Yeah, there was uh, Sigil of Distinction. Yeah. Had a very put, similar artwork. You put yeah, that one in the World, World Week Top 8, right? Yeah. And I Basilisk Color, too. I'm all about equipment. <laughs> well, what do you think about the enchantment? But not good. Like, you, you don't hear him saying words like sword of anything or a batter like, skull. Plus one, plus one for each enchantment you control. Oh, yeah, Helm. Helm, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean... This is my first time drafting this format, yeah. so... I, I got the helm really late in my first draft last night. I had no enchantments in my, yeah. in my deck or sideboard. I got the, the angel-making five-drop enchantment. But oh, Sigil of the Empty Throne? Yeah, I didn't play it, though, because I only had, like, five enchantments, which might have been enough. It was, like, three Stratus walks. I had the uh, the the dead little kids, whatever they are. The yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's so, like, gauche. 
That's dead, what, I mean, dead what, little kids. I mean, everyone everyone listening knew exactly what card he was yeah, talking yeah. about as soon as he said it. <laughs> yeah, if he said blessed spirits, they'd be like, which one is that? And then we would be like, dead little kids. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's how it works. Yeah, I, I had that. I just won my last round with that card. Just Brian. Like, oh. Put an enchantment on it, and suddenly it's a 4-4. Four, four, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind, Brian. Yeah. So we're at Times Square. Right? You, you don't have curfew. You don't have to go home or anything, do you? A mild curfew. Okay. You know how we're not allowed to look things up? Yeah. I'm going to break the rule for just tonight. I'm going to keep recording. We're going to yeah. record. Yeah. You are going to look on your phone and see what showings there are around oh. circa midnight. We can see... I don't think I can see Ant-Man. I'll say it with the kids, but I'd see Trainwreck. So... I can't see Trainwreck. I mean, I will... I have no reservations about seeing Trainwreck. I can't see Trainwreck. Why? My wife wants to see Trainwreck. Dude, there's like... I can't see Ant-Man. I have to see Ant-Man with the kids. I already saw a train wreck. I saw your deck, Mike. Oh! Oh! That was not even... That's funny if my deck was a train wreck. My deck was awesome. Oh! Yeah, it's just not... (laughs) No respect. That's just just not a a zinger. Be like... Like, it's like if you came up to John, I'd be like, Nice job with another top eight! I bet your win percentage is still number one after 20 years on the Pro Tour! I don't like, think it's anything like that. What? I don't exactly think it's exactly the same. <laughs> um, John's win percentage is still yeah, number yes, one so. after all these years. Isn't that sad? Your win percentage at FNM is even better Yeah, than you John's. do have a better FNM win percentage than John has at the yeah. Pro Tour. Wow, that is true. You, you should mention that in all your articles from now on. <laughs> You're like way ahead of you. I said, here's here's the thing. On all honesty, I don't I don't think winning an FNM is impressive enough to, to talk about in articles. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure about this. Like I, I know where the line is, and that line is consecutive state championships. I mean, <laughs> that's like I mean, let's say you won in virtual one consecutive right. state championships. You won that, the medium. <laughs> you mentioned it. That's the bar, right? If you go lower than that, people think, like, maybe an FNM. You know why? There's not, like, a lot of cachet to winning an FNM. They're like, I could play in an FNM, and I might not be good enough to win an FNM, but that guy who won last week, I'm better than him, so I don't understand the situation that my life is in currently. You know what I mean? I don't, but... but you, you know what I mean. So, so anyway, we were at Montesi, uh in, in Midtown for FNM. The place was packed. Yeah, I, I had to go on the wait list. I couldn't get into it. It was illegal right for me to come into the the building. I remember we were talking. I had to stand in the hallway with Craig to talk. They're like, we're at capacity. But then Brian just rule breaker and is like, Mike, sign up for a draft. I'm like, I'm not even allowed to walk into the room. But we got into a draft. We did. And then I won. High five. <laughs> so what, what do you think about? I'm, I'm just wondering. I just want to get Craig's evaluation on some cards. What do you think about Fairy Miscreant? How many do you need to have to play that? I had one and I played it. Okay. So, All right, that solves that. I, okay. I thought it I played, be, with, I played with three. I, well, I had two guys that gave all my flyers plus one plus I one. I did too. Yeah. And I had like two cards in my deck that cost less than three mana. So I think my deck might have been a bit of an anomaly to play a one of. But I, I had four in one of my drafts last night, and even the games where I drew like two or more extra cards with it, I found it to be completely unremarkable. If your opponent is like a one-two flyer, like, I thought it, I thought don't it was, get I, it. I, I ended up thinking it was pretty lousy. Like, I had a sigiled starfish, and I just kept scrying them away. Oh, yeah. Well, starfish is like the best card in the world. Yeah. Like, like it's literally the best card in the world. I, I like, watched, it was, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to block your first strike renowned guy. I'm going to scry and just so, do that for three turns. I, I was sitting next to Brian. Brian <laughs> keeps a one-land hand, an island for, he's like, an island Fairy Miscreants, five other cards. 
So, plays his island, plays Fairy Miscreants. Draws does not have an island, but he draws a second Fairy Miscreants, which he plays, draws into an island... And then, how did you get the third fairy miscreant? I had, I had, I had all the fairy miscreants. You, you started with all the fairy miscreants. Oh, that's not as good of a story. Anyone would keep that hand. Yeah. yeah, he played all his fairy miscreants on the second turn. It is, his draw was still ridiculously poor. Yeah. Like, like three, three power. And then, like, your opponent could go a spider, and then he's like, "Well, now I'm I mean, just I, some idiot stuck had, on two. But I, I, I had two of the, I had two of the, the power enhancers. I had the, what is it, Avacyn, the artifact, the three mana thing that gives all your attackers plus one. Plus no, one, you know, plus I, pa- I passed that for a creature, and I, I think that was probably a mistake. Okay, War, so, Warhorn. Yeah, Warhorn. Is that an orcish or a flame that costs more or less than or a flame? Orcish or a flame costs four. So you say it costs less? I, I don't know how much Warhorn costs. It costs three. Yeah, Warhorn yeah. costs three. Yeah, I, I would say less. Okay, well, in Alpha, or a flame costs two. Oh, yeah. And then when they changed it in Beta, it costs four. So it averages out to three. Yeah, so it's about the same. Yeah. Well... How much did it cost while it was banned? Because that card was banned for a while. I think, I think they banned it at four. Yeah. <laughs> you remember it being banned, yeah, right? Because far too powerful. Uh, along, along with the mighty Dingus Egg. Yeah. Which one was Dingus Egg? You took damage when it landed went to the graveyard? I don't remember. I don't know. Think... Two damage. Two damage when you kill <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah. Stone Rain and take two from the Dingus Who is in charge of the banned restricted list? All I know... Uh, Charlie Dingus? He, the Dingus Egg <laughs> was actually named after him. All I know is my first individual pro tour, um, Juggernaut was banned, Kurt Ape was banned, but Necropotent's perfectly fine. <laughs> Tinker, perfectly fine. So, uh, we've come a long way. What was your first individual pro tour? Uh, Chicago 99. I played in a Washington, D.C. Uh, team pro tour, the first team pro tour. Brian, Brian, Brian Davis played your deck, right, into the finals? Uh, well, Eric Taylor's deck, but yeah, that was the pro tour. Um, Who would you play with in D.C.? Uh, two guys, just friends from Nashville. Okay. We played together in a PTQ, and we lost in, like, the top four or something, and we queued on rating, the 1660 rating. Wow. Them was so, the days. Yeah. yeah, I was just a JSS kid back then. I, yeah. I didn't know. Um, and, that, and that got you rolling on the Pro Tour? That was like... That's my first Pro Tour. Yeah. yeah. But you were off and on for quite a long time before you became a mainstay, right? Yeah, I, I didn't go pro until 2010. So, what's your itinerary? So, you're, you're here in New York now. Yeah. What, what, what happens between now and the Pro Tour for you? Like, what's your... What does your itinerary look like? Uh, well, I have podcasting with uh, Mike and Brian in the park and then I have uh, well it's which park right this is a Brian Park it's Brian Park yeah and then there's uh, Grand Prix Dallas is this weekend yeah so I'm leaving for that in a week and when do you go you'll go like you'll get there the day of Friday or whatever yeah and then straight from there we're going to Vancouver to test and then play in the Pro Tour so between now and then I guess it's a lot of playing Cockatrice Oh, I have to get my. I keep forgetting to get my hotel room. What What do you? Uh, what's your plan as far as being in Vancouver? Like, where are you? Is there a house, or how are you guys doing that? Uh, we keep bumping that thread 
<laughs> um, I, I don't think that's come to a. I think people are coming there. at different times, also. Yeah, like so. I, th- I think we got to the point where everyone has their plane tickets, <laughs> and we know how many people we need for the house for the few days before everyone gets their platinum hotels. Sure. And I don't think we've actually gotten anything yet. So this is going to be interesting, I guess. But I think aren't some people going to stay in Dallas? So people be in like Wisconsin for right before the pro tour. Yeah. So yeah, what are you like doing? Six like? people. I'm flying up on Wednesday. I talk. I, I. So part of the reason I don't know my hotel room yet was kind of similar to the question that you had, and also I'm very bad at details, sure. sorts of things. So um, I don't know. Uh, I don't know, Brian. I'm gonna. Okay. I, I, I actually, I want to fly up. I mean, not that it's not important to test or whatever, but I actually, it's more important to me to be uh, time acclimated somewhat, right? So Vancouver is three hours off of my my current, you know, yeah. calibration. Plus, I'm just coming off of being six hours off of this calibration. So um, I, I don't know. I, I want my body to be at least somewhat adjusted. Uh, I'm at an age now that that stuff matters a lot to yeah. me. So um, for me, let's say I'm playing like five or six in the afternoon Vancouver time I'm already like three hours later than that and like god forbid I'm playing even later than that right I'm gonna I'm gonna my uh my mental faculties are gonna be eroded relative to where they where they would have been at you know at 11 a.m. or something and um and I know that up front so as much as I can blunt that Craig can tell you the west coast PTs are really good uh, they're my favorite yeah <laughs> anyway, but Craig's also Craig has a very different lifestyle from travel than I do and he's also much younger than I am but he also is only top eight in West Coast. Yes, I'm, I'm aware. It's true. Um, uh, so, so Mike's career to this point, kind of like back-to-back back state champion. Yeah, back-to-back. You know I, I was not. I was a state finalist. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he didn't win. I was offered really. the state championship, but I, I played it out of uh, arrogance. <laughs> Lost. Uh, undefeated at F Undefeated. I am undefeated at F. But I'm saying, like, like his pro tour career, some resemblance to your pro tour career to the point before 2010 in the sense of like yeah. not playing all the time maybe maybe a couple fits I, and six. I hadn't accomplished anything yeah <laughs> I'm just kidding Mike I feel like I've accomplished a lot of things in Magic uh, but what, what what advice like what's your advice to Mike as far as like approaching the modern Pro Tour because it's been a while since he's played on one so like how has it changed you know this modern like you know the last half decade that you've been a pretty dominant player on the Pro Tour um, well, I mean, like, step one, you've already accomplished. Get on a good team where you can trust your teammates to carry uh, a lot of the work so you can get a lot more done. So we have a lot of really talented players on our team, and they all kind of have specific roles that they uh, specialize in. And so if Justin and Sam are like, hey, you know, we, we did 15 drafts in Madison this weekend, and here's a bunch of stuff we learned... I'm not going to be sitting there debating it and questioning it. I'm just going to be like, great. Like, unless something just really sticks out as contrary to my experience, I'm just going to trust them and go with what they say. And similarly with constructed testing, if someone's like, yeah, we tested this matchup and like it was really bad for mono red, then I'm not going to retest that matchup. I'm just going to do additional testing to build on that instead of just trying to check their work. So, but then you're, you're someone who has an affinity for a certain type of deck, right? Like, yeah. you're, you're, you're known for wanting to play yeah, white and green decks. Control decks. Yeah, <laughs> Slow, decks. grind them out. You know, half an eye on the clock at all times. Um, like, how does that affect what information you take away during playtesting? Like, like there, there's... It, I, 
would say, like, right now, it's unlikely that you're going to play something that's not within that section of the color pie, right? Uh, I mean, like, I, I always say that I'm open to anything, and I test as if I'm open to anything. <laughs> but then once I have a feel for the format, we figure out what all the best decks are, and we have a good grasp on what we predict the metagame to be, at that point, I'm just kind of like, all right, where's the green-white deck? You know, like, <laughs> is there a green-white deck I can play? Right. So, so, I mean, how... Do you, do you feel like the Pro Tour is forgiving of deck preference like that? I mean, in my experience, it's... I mean, there's, there, there's usually not one deck. Like, way back in the day, it's like, okay, are you playing the Necro Donate deck? If yes, then you have a legitimate chance of winning the tournament. If no, like, you're handicapping yourself significantly. Because there's just, like, one deck that's so much better than everything else. You don't think that's still true? Uh, no. I think that now it's like, okay, this was the best deck because we accurately predicted which decks the other people are going to choose, and my edge is, like, I'm now 65% instead of, like, 60% if I play a different deck, as opposed to way back in the day when it could be, like, you know, 90 compared to, like, 50%. So there's a lot of edge in just, like, little things. So getting the, the sideboard, the last few sideboard cards right can be that huge edge that makes a difference in a key match that brings you to X4 instead of X5, something like that. Um, sideboarding correctly and knowing what you need to do in each matchup. You know, just like not making any of the little mistakes is pretty big. I mean, in the, in the end, you're ultimately taking a leap of faith when you play, right? Because, like, I, I remember talking to Apollo and Josh Leighton about their Esper Dragons deck at the last Pro Tour, which yeah. they both, like, you know, top top 16. Or... Yeah, they beat literally all their opponents except me. <laughs> and and they uh, and they thought that that deck was Did you like play your band deck in that mm-hmm. Yeah, and they thought in fact they thought more people would be on a deck similar to what you were playing. I think was because you had the den protectors or yeah, yeah. They, right. I think they, they they thought that that was going to be more popular. More people would have had that. So they they thought their deck was good, but they thought the field would be better. Yeah. So like ultimately, at some point, like you make a deck decision based on like your you, there is a there's a little amount of like okay, fingers crossed. Here we go. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, I don't think any of those things has changed. Right? Magnitude might have changed, right? But like, if you look back ten years, like the same conversations about like who has which wrinkles in their sideboard determines success. I don't think that's changed very much. But I don't think you see a deck like I mean, even like Cobblade. You know, as recently as like. So, that I mean, was like such a. I think that the edged deck on the I mean, field. Wait, I think Esper Dragons win percentage is at the Pro Tour is probably comparable to Cobblade's win percentage no. at the Pro Tour. No, no, the no. Cobblade players all killed each other in the end of day two. Yeah, but the that's co- why the there weren't all Cobblade players in the top eight. But you, you, half of them you had some, what three Cobblade players in the top eight and two, two or three oh, wait. more? No, there were two. Right. Uh, I know Ben won the tournament. Ben and Matt. And ben and 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 Martel. Uh, and, uh, and, Martel. and wasn't Efro also playing it? And he lost. No, Martel to... beat Efro. Martel made top eight. Efro did playing not. Playing four top eight. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, yeah. there were a lot of Cobblade yeah, there, there were three more players 16, in the top sixteen. Top thirty-two area. Yeah. Like a ton of yeah, yeah. like Owen, etc. Like, but like, regardless but, of where like the actual win rates go, because it, are we just counting Channel Fireball? Esper pilots, or are we counting all the Esper Dragon pilots? But no, because I, the only people playing Cobblade at that Pro Tour were the best team in the world. Right. And so, like... They're really the only and, team in the world almost all at well. that point. Yeah. I mean, my, the... Like, 
the point I'm making is like there's this there's this pretty famous conversation that happens in Venice where there's the beast spinning deck, right? And Osip doesn't know how to beat the beast spinning deck, and he's just like, "Zv, Zv, you're pretty smart, and you're playing, uh, and you're playing slide also. How do I beat this beast spinning deck?" And Osip hands Zv his deck, and Zv like looks at Osip sideboard and he goes, <laughs> and he like walks away. <laughs> and uh, and the answer is like, Zv's like, you you had to have stoic champion and try to like race them before they got the bidding off, and there's no other way you can win, right? Like. Because the, like, they either get a bunch of material in play. If you wrath them, they're bidding all their material back into play, right? Like, So there, there's just no outs. The only way that you can beat them is by killing them much faster than they can get off. And Osip just doesn't play against beast bidding in the last two rounds of the tournament and ultimately ends up winning the Pro Tour. But like, I think it's just like that, or like when there were a ton of players with graveyard-based decks uh, at, at, uh, at the Benzo Pro Tour, uh, and then you, you remove games does the best because even though Andrew Cuneo also figured out how to play graveyard cards, only the YMG guys figured out that you had to play anti-graveyard cards. Right? Did you remember this one? Yeah. So, like, Cuneo figures out to play graveyard cards, so CMU, which is the team that he's on at the time, have, like, Death Spark zombie infestation. But then YMG's like, oh, shoot, graveyard is the best. We need to figure out ways to beat other people who've also figured out that this is the best. And then, of course, Kai wins anyway, right? <laughs> Just like all the stories. And then Kai wins. I, so, 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 Craig's point, I think, I think that certainly I would respect that the good teams get a lot of the legwork done. But I think that but I think the tasks haven't changed that much, right? Like, you want to find those last few sideboard cards. I, I don't think, I think that's the same in, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. Sure, that part is all the same. Uh, my only point in making that distinction was that there isn't one deck that's just, like, so much better than everything else nearly as often as there was back then. I believe that. You know, like, Watsi's tried to make it so that... Uh, they tried to set the cards at a power level that it's very difficult to load way more power into your deck than other people have. I'll also say this. Um, it feels like, especially standard Pro Tours now... It's kind of a marathon, or not a marathon, it's a sprint to see how close you can get to an actual tier one deck that's going to have lasting impact. And so... I'm sorry, when you say lasting impact, you mean like after the Pro Tour is done? Yeah, so like let's say two months after the Pro Tour, when the format's all pretty much, you know, figured out and like where all the decks are super tuned and like the same deck within four cards is winning all the MTGO dailies and like... You know, Jerry Thompson is winning all the tournaments because he figured out the three changes he's supposed to make to win the mirror match. Like, if you can get as close as possible to one of those decks for the Pro Tour, you do so much better. Whereas, if you look back to, like, Jeremy Dizani's deck that he won the Pro Tour with, he was playing all these cards that, like, did not end up being in Blue Devotion. But he was just playing Blue Devotion when so few other people were, and so he was just wrecking people. And same with there's another uh, like mono black. Yamamoto ends yeah, up mono black, but he motion. finds the pack rat. Right, and like, but his deck was like not not anywhere close no. to the final version of you know pack rat black devotion. But he still got close enough right. to where he top eights the pro tour. Right. Whereas very few other people actually got anywhere near. And then the funny thing is, everyone who's playtesting that night before the pro tour top eight is like, so this deck's not great. But pack rat's insane, and if he had four pack rats, I don't think we could beat this deck. Right. So I mean, it's just I, I feel like in that regard, 
Um, even though you want to have, you know, that last few sideboard cards or whatever, um, it's very important to be in the ballpark that you're supposed to be in. So instead of trying to, like, level yourself by sideboarding for decks that aren't actually existing on level zero, you just want to have a, a deck that's really good at beating the level zero because that's what most people at the Pro Tour show up with. And then if you can find a new deck, like, I, I, I feel like the Band Ojitai deck is pretty close where there are maybe a dozen people qualified for the Pro Tour with that deck through Grand Prix and the RPTQs. So, like, it was... One of the first decks I built that, like, legitimately other people qualified for the Pro Tour with. And so I feel like that, I, even though it was maybe five or six or seven cards off, it was still good enough to compete. And it was something new that people weren't expecting. So it was particularly good for that tournament because whenever you have something new, it's like uh, people don't know how to play against it. But then once they see your deck list and for the Grand Prix the next week, everyone knows what's going on. And so they, they play around the Valorous stance. Don't, don't you also feel like a lot of times you'll, you'll go to the Pro Tour, if you talk to people on Thursday night or Wednesday night, they're like, oh yeah, I got a sweet one. I got a sweet one. And then you talk to them Friday morning and they're like, play Dobzon. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like at some point they're like, I, I think, think this specific instance that you're talking about specifically ends up Obzon a lot of the time. <laughs> but it's... <laughs> No, it's a, it's a lot of different... I mean, it could be anything. It's a lot of different people because there's, like... There's not as big a reward for taking the big swing, right? Like, there's... You know, you're rewarded for, like, in, you know, putting together a number of solid finishes. As a, I mean, obviously, the one great finish carries you a long way. But, you know, in terms of getting to platinum and getting to gold and, you know... You know, maybe if you're trying to qualify for your national team, if you're not, you know, not an American player, um, you know, you, you kind of like, I, you know, I would like to get deep into day two. I want to, you know, obviously everyone wants to win, but like your 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 goals, your target is maybe a little softer than that. Well, it's also just really hard to come up with a, a new deck that's not expected that actually competes with the tier one decks right and so most people are not going to show up with that decks those decks because or if they do they just don't do well because they ended up being a miss but very few times does someone actually build a brand new deck and do really well with it in the tournament you know at the pro tour level what's the roguest deck you've had success with every deck i've ever played (laughs) (laughs) okay those are the only kind of decks I ever wanted. I mean, come on. I, I, I was equipping Civic Saber to judges familiar. Like, that was pretty sweet. Yeah. Lots like, of different, though. Like, you, you kind of have to figure out, like, random vanilla cards off are often, right, fine. Are often real good. Equipping Trusty Machete to <laughs> White Knight. <laughs> Core Firewalker main deck. Um, yeah, that... That, you had some good, you had some good uh, interactions. You had adventuring gear in that deck, right? Yeah. Man, I thought thought a lot I of. No, I didn't have that. No, that didn't make it. You did not have adventuring gear. No. I had sigil of distinction. Adventuring gear was a little too playable. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking back, like adventuring gear seems like it would have made a lot of sense to me in that deck. Um, you've got to be excited about the uh, the new set coming up. Zendikar, yeah. Zendikar, yeah. Yeah, and I know Paul Ritzel and I were, like, sacrificing to, like, the gods to get Steplinks back. <laughs> they said they'll be allies back. I don't know about yeah. Allies? What are good allies? I don't know. The, what is it? Kazandu Hateblade? Was that his name? 
uh, I don't know. I, I just know that they all got the more allies you, you did, they all got better. Yeah, there's the one guy. He was like a two-two for two, and yeah. he he was he was for like white white. He was good. Like even if you, I have I just no recollection of this. Yeah, like they they didn't really make it into. They didn't push them for constructed. Yeah, no. but in limited, you drafted a good ally deck. I, yeah. I feel like there was a Naya allies that people tried to make good. Like, was there like? Am I, well, there was am I the crazy? ally. There was like the raise the allies alarm card, right? Like, but like, I two, feel like people were blood raid elfing allies into allies or something. Is that? Am I am I imagining this? Possibly. I don't even remember what any of the allies did. Yeah. So I'm maybe. I'm, I know that people are trying to play Collected Company Allies in Modern on Moto. <laughs> That's like, forget who, who made the tweet. Where they're like, well, this uh, testing on Moto isn't very productive. I'm just playing Tribal Collected Company decks every round, like slivers into allies, into like, elves. So, what did we have? Uh, tried to make the original Nissa good. So, we had some deck. I, I distinctly remember this. I was at Brian's office at the time. We were actually recording Toppy Magic podcast, and I, I had a deck that was like original Nissa, a Johnny Vengeant, like all kinds of all kinds of Bloodbraid Elf, but like all kinds of garbage to make like Nissa playable in standard. And I'm just like, this deck is just too crappy. But man, Bloodbraid Elf and <laughs> Noble Hierarch and Lightning Bolt are really good. And so I just took out every fancy car, <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, that that ended up being uh, that ended up being Andre's deck." That's what I did in uh, Mask Block, where I built this food chain Avatar of Woe deck <laughs> with a bunch of those free creatures that, like, your opponent gains five life and you get like a two-two for four yeah. for like no mana. And I would like sack it to the food chain, chain it into another guy, and then cast Avatar of Woe, and then. I would sideboard out my combo and bring in, like, Blastoderms and Chimeric Idols and, like, <laughs> Silk Crawlers. And, and that was the better deck, right? Yeah. And, so that, <laughs> and, and, and thus testing. Snuffoderm was born. Exactly, yep. And, and then I was just like, wow, you know, if I just stop being cute, yeah. then... Do you remember Snuffoderm? Really yeah, Joel Priest made Snuffoderm at my apartment after the first PTQ and then won the, the PTQ the next week. Uh, they came. I, do you remember Joel Priest? He was yeah, like of one of Schuler's friends. Yeah, uh, I beat him in the last round of uh, Pro Tour New York to win win my only money on the Pro Tour. It was the. Uh, <laughs> I think that was the only. No, no, every every Pro Tour. What are you talking about? Oh yeah, that's true. It's like a, it's a top thirty-two, a straight top sixteen. Uh, so yeah, like I, I think Patrick J and Joel Priest came up from like DC area, stayed over my apartment, which at the time was Brooklyn, and like. You know, that was the that was a famous story where I missed the swamp walk, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't didn't uh, didn't didn't win that one, and then they came back and they were like, "No, no, no! Trust me, Blastoderms and Banishings is the way to go." And I'm like, "This isn't limited," because I had just been doing nothing but Blastoderms and Banishings and limited for a while. Yeah. And then he goes, he makes a deck, and he won the, the PTQ in the second week with it. Yeah. And then that, became that was a big awesome. grudge match deck too. One of the big, yeah, one of the big uh, uh, pillars of that format. Uh, that you know, Antarctica and those guys all all played it in Worlds and. John obviously that was the deck he played at uh, the mass block portion of Worlds on the way to the Tinker Win, summer two thousand. I'm sure this, which I'm sure is fascinating. Yeah, people, people are like, I don't know Magic any of these cards. Sixteen years ago, beat Bob Maher in the mirror in the finals, right? Bob kind of beat himself. <laughs> that was a uh, was good though. So, uh, so what's your take on the Hall of Fame this year? Uh, I think that. Ephro is probably 75% to get in. 
and then I think there's maybe four other people that have 25 to 50% chance. Like I think 50? Maybe less than 50%. I think Willie Adel has a legitimate chance. Right. I think uh, Justin Gary is probably maybe 10 to 25%. Uh, I think Shota has a small chance. How did you feel about the Shota versus Tom Martell discussion that uh, John started last week? Yeah, well, I mean, if it were up to John, the Hall of Fame would be, like, 15 people. <laughs> right, 15 people who you know by to, one name. You would have be to, like, like, hi, John, Gabe. Yeah, it would be, like, everyone who has eight or more Pro Tour Top 8s, <laughs> plus, like, Steve-O and Chris McCool or something. <laughs> Which I, I, I'm starting to be more and more sympathetic to that view of, like, small hall, I think is what sure. they're calling it. Like, because we already have, like, 40 people, and so, like we keep inducting the top two or three people every year, right. then eventually we're going to get down to the point where we're like, well, this guy had only has two Pro Tour top eights, but, you know, we got second in one of those, and you want to Yeah, but like, but, like, that's Martin Juza. And, but, you know, yeah. you don't hear any... And you don't hear he anybody... Like 20-something Grand Prix. Right, but I'm saying, but he has the two Pro Tour top eights, and nobody, nobody really talks about Martin so, seriously for the whole... Votes, he does get some yeah. votes. He does I, get some votes. I, but. I think you'll see, like, a huge shift in behavior in how long-standing people who've had, especially, what the hell do we have called selection committee? It's all, it's all one committee now. No, but, like, I mean, who've had it's a selection whatever committee selection committee votes for a long time, over the course of, I'd say, the last three years. And, I mean, I think I'm pretty, I'm pretty emblematic of that, which is that there are a large number of folks whose votes were cast in very differing incentives maybe five or eight years ago than there are right now. And that part of the problem was that for in the early years, you had to cast all five votes, right? Uh, that, I don't think that's I'm true. I'm pretty sure you had to cast all five I think maybe the first like year. One and two. I think yeah, maybe so, one and two, yeah. So, but then... They, they were voting in five people yeah, those so, years. It wasn't yeah, yeah. just 40% but right. the, But then, like, there was just, like, this slew of years in the middle years where, like, I mean, I personally didn't didn't feel like a, a fair number of the people who were, who were getting inducted had anywhere near what you would induct on modern criteria, let's say, just for sake of. Well, where, where, do you, where do you feel? Where do you feel your career sits? I mean, you're Hall of Fame eligible. Well, I've been eligible. But, sure, I mean, uh, but where, where, where do you like? If you were objectively like I, voting, I, and you 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 know you had you know somehow are two people. You know, you you have a mustache, and then you're you have Craig Wesco without the mustache. Like, how are you evaluating Craig Wesco's career? I think if I top eight another pro tour, I'll be a legitimate candidate. Um, but I mean, that's I mean, obviously, it would be awesome. But that's kind of a, a long term goal. I I just want to qualify for Worlds and get platinum every year, and then eventually, if I do that enough, like you know, right. So what, what do you need? Where, where are you right now going into Dallas and Pro Tour Magic Origins? Like in terms of your year, in terms of medal status? I'm locked for platinum. Okay. So as long as I show up for the Pro Tour, I'll have platinum for next year. And but I, you could get platinum at Dallas? I could, but I would have to get second place or first place. Okay. Because you have enough Grand Prix results already that yes. you're bumping something out. Right. And... So I need to probably top 16 to make Worlds, which is a pretty tall order, but I think if I go, like, X4, I'm 
making it into Worlds. And if I go X4-1, I think I'll be kind of a coin flip, and I might make it at X5. Okay. So I definitely have to have a good pro So you're, you are paying attention to all the draft emails here, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is like, because that's really, it, it's, you know, it's so funny, right? It's only six rounds of your pro tour, yep. but you can, like, submarine your whole event with, a, yeah. with one lousy why, draft. Why, why, why you got to say this? <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> he's, 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 I mean, at this point, Craig, Craig knows the stakes. I'm not... I mean, for people at home, they don't know that Craig knows. I'm not. I'm not bashing him or or, or trying to jinx him. I mean, I mean, I understand it's upsetting for you to hear this. <laughs> Pro Tour tempered steel. Uh, what are you talking about? You just three would his draft. He's set. He's ready. Feeling invincible right now. Don't you? It was a Pro Tour in Japan where it was tempered steel was the big deck was block constructed. Yeah. I went nine and one with tempered steel and went two four in draft. Oof. So yeah, that was like that was a tournament where I feel like I, I really missed an opportunity to top eight. Uh, because of the draft. I oh, mean, White Weenie was the best deck in that. It was. The weather, there was two different kinds of White Weenie yep. you could play. Pure Steel Paladin and Tempered Steel. Oh, I like the Pure Steel Paladin. That's my too. format, <laughs> where it's just White Weenie mirrors all day long. <laughs> that's actually, do you feel do you feel that that's a skill matchup? I mean, do you feel like you're going to win that matchup if you're... Uh, no, I played one Tempered Steel deck, and that was my one loss. <laughs> <laughs> I just beat all the decks that thought they could beat Tempered Steel. Sure. Back when I... When I uh, Fancied myself a, a you know a white weenie guy. I remember, like I top eighted every week in, in mass block constructed. I was sure that I could beat the New Jersey version of Rebels, but every single loss I had in the top eight was to like John, John Sonny. Sonny, like Matt Rubin, like one of those. Like uh, I think I lost to Ger- not er- not Jordan. I lost to Eric Ziegler, Ziegler once. Sure. Like, any like rando member of the New Jersey Death Squad with their deck that had like four fewer lands than mine at like two Magetta the Lions, just like oh, hit my fifth land drop. I went first. Legend rule go, and you're like, that's it. All the preparation that you you, you put into this tournament just ended. Um, I mean, John Sonny was very good at magic. Uh, John, I beat John Sonny in one of those tournaments. He hands me his deck. While Brian Kibler's watching the match, I look over to Kibler, and he, he's just, like, starts shaking his head. And I'm like, John, how many cards is this? 30? Like, it's, like, two different things. only presented, like, half. And he's just like, well, I can't, I can't imagine that we're going we're gonna to have any other outcome than this. He just takes the slip and starts putting it down. Yeah, you talk about how <laughs> I, I kind of have a deck that I play. Well... Pretty much the the only two pro tours that I can remember where I didn't play an aggro white deck, it ended up being the deck that wins the tournament. <laughs> so like pro tour Lin Civi, obviously I play some like black green abomination. That was good against the white decks. You played like the DPO deck. Yeah, and, and so who who are you working with for that one? Uh, just like I don't know some JSS kids or something. BJ, you figured out the that that strategy like. I thought that was a pretty, like, third-level strategy. It, it was definitely not as good as Rebels, and I should have played Rebels, and I didn't. Um, then I played uh, the Pro Tour where Paul Rietzel and Kai Bud both top eight. Oh, in Amsterdam? Yeah, and Paul Rietzel wins the tournament with the white weenie deck. What did you play in that tournament? Uh, I played some blue-green Cryptic Command Tarmogoyf <laughs> deck. And uh, Alex West, the day before, was like, hey, this white weenie deck's really good. I, that's been doing well on Magic League or something. I think you should audible to it. And I'm like, nah, I already know all my matchups. I'm not going to audible the day before. Like, <laughs> on this decision that I took his advice for the next Pro Tour, and yeah. I won that Pro Tour. So. Oh, okay. Oh, that's yeah, so any, anytime Alex West tells me to play white deck, I'm just like 0% to not what, play What if, like, a random homeless person comes up and be like, Craig, I think you should play a white deck. Like, <laughs> well, I mean, if, if Alex West is that random homeless guy, I'm, I'm doing it. <laughs> 
You're, you're not ascribing any mystic powers to random people, though. Just, no, it's, just, just Alex. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's just, two for two. He's a good guy. He's right. Like, yeah. you know, I like Two Alex. times he told me to play an aggressive white deck, and it won the tournament both times. So he, I'm definitely 100% to believe him. And then there's... Uh, so after they cut to top eight, I was looking at the standings, and I was kind of shaking my head. And I look over beside me, Cedric Phillips. And we're just like, yeah, two white weenie decks in top eight. Now, now they us played white weenie. Oh, like, what did so, he uh, play? Cohabsies on a uh, bridge to go jump off. <laughs> <laughs> a bridge from below? Yeah, I don't know what he played, but I know we were both kicking ourselves for not playing that deck. Do you like Kipkin? Do you like, like, I mean, your almost... white weenie decks? Like, anything that's, like, attacking on turn two and has a planes in it, and is that good enough for you? Uh, I played Black Green Elves when Kipkin was big. I didn't even play Kipkin. Do, do you feel like there's some value to, like, if you're going to... Like play a similar deck archetype and, and be very well versed in it. Do you feel like there's an advantage to never not playing it if it's possible? Just because when it's right, you're gonna you're, you're more likely to spike than someone else. Yeah, well, it's kind of like what you were talking about earlier, where you kind of hope that the metagame is what you expect it to be. Right. Because you could just be wrong in your metagame predictions. Maybe but it'll be a little different. You could be right in your metagame predictions. You just didn't happen to play against yeah, those true. people, right? Like, yeah. ma- like the the N in a Magic tournament for any individual player is like so high variance. Unless you're playing a tournament like Pro Tour New York 2000, right. where or like or like a Star City Open at the end of 2011, where 75 percent of the players are playing Callblade. Like with, uh, that's incredibly anomalous, right? But you could be very good on your, your metagame position and still not hit those decks. Yeah, so basically my, what I'm saying here is if you do have a deck archetype that you're particularly good at compared to other things, then there really has to be a reason to not play it right. as opposed to, you know, you know, if it's maybe testing as our second best deck and our first best deck is, like, noticeably better but not miles better, it's kind of like, well, I'm going to play the second best deck that I feel I could play better. Right. Do you feel a kinship with other people who have, like, you, do you like in Shaheen Sarani, even though you don't play anything remotely similar, you know, but he's always playing the blue control deck, you know, you're like, hey, you know, like, you're like in this, you know, in this group of people who are just like, die hard in your deck. I literally switched Pro Tour teams to test on a team with Paul Rietzel and Pat Cox. <laughs> so, there's definitely an affinity there. We're just like, all right, well, all right, turn one creature, go. Turn two, uh, creature, attack, go. Turn three, kill your creature, play creature, attack my creatures. Yeah, that strategy's been winning for two years, too, like, yeah. right? Like, I mean... Two? Well, no, I mean, like, but the last two years, we've seen a lot of very curvy decks with, you know, Fleece Main Lions and, on turn two and, you know, creatures on turn one and, you know, just, you know, curving up to a Planeswalker or something. You mean in Magic? In Magic. Or you mean on the Pro Tour? On the Pro Tour. Oh, so I mean, different, right? Yeah, on the Pro Tour specifically. I, I actually think that like there's probably trackable stats about about stuff like this. I think that like low like minimizing casting costs on average like very very much excels in the Pro Tour because the like what Craig said a second ago, the decks are just not good. So uh, the the more aggressive decks tend to be less bad, right? Like it's hard to say like. You know that a Zergo Bell Striker isn't an effect, you know, effective Magic card, right? However, if everyone's playing Karyatids and Corsairs. It is, but it's very easy to miss with the with the with the dissolve. Yeah, like that's the. It, it, it's really hard. What you're saying is it's hard to get exactly the right combination of control elements to yeah. make a control deck work. Especially with an aggro deck. If there's 20 decks you might play against. Yeah. Maybe, like maybe you are playing 
like the wrong creature or like the second best removal spell, but you're still playing a guys that attack and things that get blockers out of the way. Yeah, they're like pretty fungible, right? Like, let's say for sake of argument, like, I don't know, uh, Vile Blight is a little bit better than Ultimate Price this week. Well, the reality is that both of them cost two, and both of them are going to get a blocker out of the way. If your game, if your game's going to go eight turns, right, you're probably going to have available targets for both cards before the game has been decided. Right, so, like, uh, as long as you've got creatures that are swinging, but those... those those problems tend to tend to take care of themselves much more for an aggressive deck. Like, look at uh, uh, what was the become immense guy, Martin uh, Martin, Martin, Martin Dang's deck. Like, I mean, I, I think that there are a significant number of flaws in the long term construction in, in his in his red deck. But and it didn't win anything after the Pro Tour, right? Did it? It was like pretty. It was pretty heavily played at the amateur level for weeks after the Pro Tour. A lot of people switched to mono red, but not too long after. Yeah. Look, but like you don't see decks with random become immenses anymore. Like it's just, it's just not done. Like look, the amount of liability he got for playing four mana confluence in, in a mono red is just like. Yeah, what's the difference between playing become immense and playing like? Titan um, strength over the course of a, of a tournament. Yeah. Like, he just has this high variance card that, like, he didn't get stung on because his opponents. His opponents all played five casting cost response cards. Like, literally, somebody's response card to a Zergo Bell Striker was a five casting cost dragon in that tournament. Right? Like,. It's it's real easy to not get stung when that's the when when that's the the, the matchup that you're in. Sure. Like if people were playing cards like Master of Waves, right? Which nobody played in that tournament. Like that that, that deck becomes very very bad because in that format, Master of Waves only makes a single elemental. <laughs> oh, I mean, obviously there's 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 things that you could play to set up Master of Waves and make it pretty good. Yeah, a bunch of unplayable cards. Like lots of playable cards, Omen Speakers and and Tisanice. <laughs> Sure. Uh, but no, my, my point is like you can get like the blue cards are really really easy to get wrong in the pro tour. Sure. And like the aggro cards, like you can be like off by fifteen percent or something. Cards are pretty close to each other, sure. right? Like, well, yeah. I mean, I mean, again, going back to the thing with Paulo and Josh, I think they feel like if more people had been on Den Protector, Deathmiss Raptor, that their results would have been significantly worse. Yeah, like imagine, let's say the Pro Tour was the way the metagame looks now, where the Abzan decks are predominantly Abzan Megamorph, and Bent Megamorph's a real thing, and even some of the Green Devotion decks are running, you know, Deathness Raptors and stuff. Then, well, I guess Esper's still going to be good against those. <laughs> but Esper's going to have, you know, a tougher time facing down today's metagame than it did for that Pro Tour. What made Esper, like, go from being such a high-value deck in Standard to being, like, basically there's been no finishes for Esper in two months or something? I mean, I think I think it's the, the Dem Protectors, really. But is, I, I feel like the Devotion decks have risen, and the, the like what Craig said a second ago, like, the Esper decks are excellent against the Devotion decks. Like, is it, like, second-order effects that's, like, these decks, like, random mid-range decks are good against the Esper decks, and then the over-the-top green decks are just good against the decks that are more predominant. Because there were there were two devotion decks in the top eight at uh, you know Pro Tour Dragons and Target. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like 
I feel like the Esper deck was one of the most impressive decks it's yeah, in quite I, a long time. I agree. Yeah. And I mean, again, the, the, you know, when, when, when you have Josh Utterlayton and Paolo Vitor Domodorosa piloting, it also it's easy to make a deck look I mean, I excellent. I think Paul Chion also did well with it. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but I think it was a fourth person, too. But, there were, there were, yeah, there were handful But Paulo kept playing it long after it wasn't good anymore and kept winning. That's yeah, the... Well, that's, the that's the advantage of being okay. Paulo. <laughs> right, and it's also an example of um, playing to your strength. So, go figure, Paulo, his big comeback to dominance is when they print an Esper control deck with a two-mana counterspell. <laughs> you know, it's like, who would have thought that? And, like, this dig-through-time card that just replenishes your hand, and he just, like, plays it very, very well, and it's exactly what he wants to be doing, and it's playing out the same ways that, you know, fairies and you know, all these other decks that he's played in the past, uh, five-color control, that, yeah, you know, a deck that he already knows how to play that archetype, and now he's doing better than anyone else in the world with that deck. So, where, where do you think your votes are going to lie, Brian? You know, I'm still thinking about it. I, I'm, I'm probably voting for Eric Froelich. I feel like I'm going to vote for Willie Adel. Uh, I always want to vote for Tsuyoshi Ikeda. Um, I know he's got a dearth of finishes, like, amongst his four Pro Tour top eights. But I also, you know, remember uh, when I started doing coverage regularly, you know, and started going to Japanese events, that he was a very central figure in mobilizing that next wave of Japanese pros and really, you know, having that, that team of good people. And You raise a really interesting point that I don't know if you meant to raise a second ago, which is that if you have really bad rate stats, at what point do your counting sets become good enough that you become quote-unquote eligible? Right? Like, imagine you've played in an enormous amount of pro tours and your average finish is very bad. If you have eight Pro Tour top eights, does that make you now? You have eight Pro Tour top eights. There's no way you're not going into the Hall of Fame. I'm sorry. Once you get to five, right? That's the median number for Hall of Fame. Four four, four is where people really start. No, but I'm talking about someone whose rate sets are very bad. Yeah. Right? So there are very few players who are currently. There's no rate that, like, you can get last place at every Pro Tour that you don't top eight. And if you have, like, Six top eights. There's no way you're not getting voted. My point is that there are few players whose rates are as bad as Tsuyoshi Kikita right now who are currently in the. Who sure, are in pro- the I'm probably one of them. No, I, no, who are in the currently in the top? In, who are currently in the Hall of Fame? Right. Oh, Kikita is not. Oh yeah. All right. So Kikita is not in the Hall. Yes, I am saying there are few players okay. whose rates oh, okay. are as bad as Kikita who are currently in the Hall of Fame. Right. right. Like I'd have to look. I mean, I can think of a few off the top of my head, but I wouldn't want yeah. to say without without confirming. But I don't even know if they're as bad as his. Right. right. So. Now, obviously, he's had an accomplished career in other dimensions. But if you look at if you look at a player, the, the, the comparison you made earlier directly, which is Tom Martel versus uh, uh, versus Shata uh, Asuoka, I just don't. Like, I, I I I had a conversation with John like two weeks ago, and I'm like, I'm probably going to vote for Efro. And if I don't vote for Efro, I'm thinking voting for Efro and Shata. And he's like, that might be right. And then I had a different conversation. I'm like, I just don't see how you can cast a vote for Shadi Asaoka over Tom Martell, which is not to say that you have to vote for Tom Martell or that you can't vote for Shadi Asaoka. But if you vote for Shadi Asaoka and you don't vote for Tom Martell, you are either illiterate or don't, or, 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 or you just value, can't. Or you're valuing different things. Scenes. But like, there's way more. But his number of his his number of repetitions is like so much higher. Like the, the, the... Okay, so so I think one of the things that's becoming 
a common uh, way that people are voting is that they count the things that the, the good things you do in favor of you, but then the things that like the negatives they don't count against you unless it's an integrity thing. So uh, for those instance, are always easy for me. <laughs> right. So what I'm saying is, let's say you look at Shota's resume and you're like, okay, wow, he has like huge number of pro points, huge number of lifetime winnings. He has like a whole bunch of pro tour top 16s. Uh, he only has a couple top eights, but he has a win. And he's got like all these, uh, like a million Grand Prix top eights. And so he's got like all these really strong things going for him that if you look at all of his pluses, they fit really well into even among Hall of Famers that are already in. But then you want to say, well, he has like these three really sore thumbs that stand out that don't mesh with Hall of Fame. Right. I also have a hard time with like the, the rate stat sometimes because I think people also care different. Like I think that you know, there's some people like, well, I, I, I qualified for that two-year stretch and I was just dealing, you know, like... I don't no, know. No, no. So like, I, I'm I don't. Not, I don't. I, I don't was actually. Playing on the pro tour when I was 15 and 16. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I'm not. The rate stats like, not as whatever. important. To I'm me. not saying that you can't vote for Shout. That's not what I'm yeah, saying yeah, at all. I, I qualified my statement. I'm, I'm saying, saying, saying yeah. look at Shout's line. Look at Tom's line. There yeah, one has like three more top 16s. There are few, which is huge. But he has three more top 16s. One has twice as in, much cash. In like 40 more tries. Okay, like that. That's the. That, that's the point. Is like it's not. You're not saying like look. His rate is not bad. No one's saying his rate is bad. I'm saying that voting for him over Tom does not make very much sense. Like, you don't have to value Shouta's rate low to recognize that Tom's rate is vastly better in almost every category. Right. Okay, that's, so, that's what I'm saying. So Tom has one stat that's better than Shouta's, and that's his rate. And Shouta's is better or tied in every other category. Yeah, you can just, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Well, I mean, like, what the, do you mean by his rate? Like, Tom is like is either first or second in multiple categories, right? He's like he has They're the best rate. He has the best three-year median in the in the history of the game. Okay, that's what I thought you meant by rate. What else? No, rate is uh, okay. I mean like his ratio of high finishes to performance overall is different from his three-year median, okay? For sake of argument, right? Okay. Is that not those are two right, different. But, those are two different okay, columns. Okay, so Tom Martell, in a small number of tries, has had a high success rate, right? And so, if if you're counting five different things based on that one thing, then it's five different stats. If it's if you're just saying, yeah, in the number of tournaments he's played, he's done very well in a high percent. Yes. Um, whereas if you're just talking about things he's accomplished, he still has you know at least two more big finishes that he needs to have. If he continues at this rate, it's only going to be a couple years before he, he gets those stats and gets voted in. Right. But uh, someone who has played in twice or three times as many Pro Tours and has gotten there, it's like, you're not going to not vote Cal Ripken into the Hall of Fame. I mean, come on. Or, like, just because it took him so much longer than it took some players well, who haven't so played as long. I cast a vote for Tom last year, and not very many people did that. Uh, I thought his I thought his numbers were absolutely magical last year, but it, like he's so demonstrably worse after ha- after adding a year that just had two Grand Prix top eights. Like it actually like very badly damaged his you know his his rate stats. Yeah, so if somebody values so, rate above everything else, that that will happen. I think very few people do that. I don't. I'm I'm not saying to value rate over everything else. I think that Tom's counting stats are highly comparable or better in general. His counting stats. 
tush out his counting stats, right? Like, he has the same number of Pro Tour top eights, and Shouter only has the same number of Pro Tour top eights as Tom after the most recent Pro Tour. But that's two, right? Yeah. And I don't they think... They both have a win. They both yeah. have a win. I mean... So, Shouter has the player of the year. That's fair. He Tom has, has Tom has more Worlds appearances. I mean, like... But Shouter has a World Cup four. That's finals. true. So, you know, a su- another Sunday finish. Now, I, I don't want this to be all about, like, why you shouldn't vote for Tom. If you think Tom should get in, vote for Tom. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 I'm not saying that either. I'm just saying voting one over the other doesn't make, 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 does not make very much sense I, I to me. I submitted my ballot, like, yeah. I did my homework before they even sent it to me. Yeah. I knew what I was doing, so yes. I voted for five people. I voted for Akeda. Oh, awesome. I voted for Shota. Uh, I voted for uh, Ifro. I voted for... Uh, someone that we haven't talked about that we probably should is Mark Herberholtz. Oh yeah, that, that was uh, another person who was on my ballot. He has Mark. Mark, Mark is on my Mark is on my short I mean, list. I, I wish I still just had this calibration where I just like in good conscience is always over for my friends. <laughs> Your friend, like he has four top eights and a win. Nobody else on the. He's ballot not. I mean, I'm, I'm, I know Mark. Like, right? I'm not. Mark's not my friend. I'm not saying I'm no. voting for. Him I've had a total of less than ten minutes of interaction with him in my life. We uh, we actually. You probably didn't know this. Like in two thousand, either two thousand eleven, two thousand twelve, the first year that Mark was eligible. We did a top eight magic podcast. That was just me and Mark about oh, yeah. why everyone should vote for Mark. <laughs> All right, let's do it again. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I actually, Mark's, I, I, yeah, Mark's I voted for Mark. I, I voted for Mark when you were here. I forgot Willie that also? I did that. No, uh, I voted for Justin Gary. As okay. Last. Now, why, why Ikeda and not Willie? Because I, I find them to be comparable. Yeah, they were really close. Um, Ikeda has more top 16s. And kind of Willie has the four top eights, which is very big. And, like, I had him uh, number seven behind Martin Light. Martin Liber also. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, I, I, Marine, I, don't understand why, I don't understand why Marin is never in the discussion. I mean, he certainly... Yeah, I voted like, from last year. It feels like he should be. Yeah, was, so seven people, um, I think, are people that I would legitimately... Like, I narrowed it down to seven, and I did decide yeah. between those seven. And I feel like beyond the top eights... Willie like has no top sixteen. Sure, I know. I agree. For, for me, the big. for me, the compelling thing on Willie is just going to South America and talking to players in that just yeah. continental community and how how important he is to that I group agree. in terms of like you know making them feel like they can get to the pro tour that he's going to give them access to play testing and you know coordinating travel and like is really like. You know, fighting for his community all the time in terms of like trying to get Grand Prix. I don't know. I, I, I just put a lot of, to me, there's a lot of value on, on what he's done in terms of like just taking like someone like Tiago Saparito under his wing. You know, I don't know. I, 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 have, I have a lot of uh, respect for what Willie does as a I, grower I think, of the game. I think Willie has the second best chance of making it in this year behind Efro. Yeah. And I came really close to voting for him. And I think that. If we're going to be objective, it's kind of like I, I, I couldn't justify voting for him over Ikeda sure. because Ikeda's stats are just kind of like better. Right. Um, and it's close, but it's like slightly an edge in Ikeda's favor. I can't vote for Willie and not uh, Ikeda unless I give a high weight to his community contributions. Right. And I don't really know. It sounds like Ikeda also has. Can't, no, Ikeda does. Ikeda does as well. I, absolutely. So, and I, so I, I also kind of have. Um, See, I, I don't think it's I don't think it's entirely 
uh, an analytical process. I do think that there is a, a an, an eyeball test, you know, like just I'm, kind I'm of feeling about cur- someone being about in the Hall of Fame. I do think there's some component where you're like, you know what, it's just not all... Craig, when you were narrowing into your seven, I'm surprised you voted for Mark, but where did you have Osip then? Uh, he... I think I mentioned him in my top ten. It's like, I think Mark and Osip are pretty indistinguishable. Mark has one more top eight, and Osip is better in every other category. Like, literally across the board, he's... And, like, even the things that Mark is outstanding at when he was the best deck designer in the world, Osip was the best deck designer in the world for a longer period than Mark was. Um, and... I'm not opposed to voting for Osip. <laughs> no, I, no, I'm just saying, like... Like, I, I have the same conversation about Mike. It's like... Uh, you know, fair number of my friends I think the strong top, I think the top eight makes a little, puts a little bit of daylight between the I two mean, of them. But why does it? Osip has so many more good finishes than Mark. They're just not top eights. Like if you if you if you're willing to make the concessions for players like Shadow, why not for Osip? That's well, I'm what not I don't making, understand. I'm, but I'm not making the concession for Shadow. I mean, you're willing to entertain the conversation. Sure, I, Shana, I, right? I, no, no, all the play, players we're talking about are sort of in my. Yeah, which, in my in my sort of whirlwind this is of, the sort of um, these are the sort of uh, debates that are inclining me more and more to Small. voting Small. not for five people because really Efro I can't justify not voting for Efro um, and then beyond Efro it's kind of like I could very easily see just a one person ballot which I think is going to be John Finkel's ballot and that's yeah. probably the right ballot so but. I, I really want to vote for these people because, in my mind, like they are Hall of Famers. Right. And for and for John, I think Efro's even like on the bubble. Yeah. So, I, I, uh, one per, one person gets in though. Each yeah, yeah. So, so, I, and I think Efro should be that one if yeah, one yeah. person gets in. Oh, all right. So yeah, I actually you. I had a similar conversation with John just two nights ago, and I said I was a third likely to vote for Efro. A third likely to vote for Efro and Tom, and then a third likely to vote for no one. And I was like, to not not to like rescind my ballot or anything, yeah, right? Yeah. Like not to refuse my ballot, just to not vote for anyone. Yeah. And John said, "Well, somebody's going to get in, so you have to recognize if somebody's going to get in, we, it might as well be Efro." Yeah. Yeah. And like, and uh, so I'm very likely to just vote for Efro. Then I voted for Efro last year, and I I didn't cast a five person ballot two years ago. And I kind of really wanted to vote for Efro, uh, but I barely voted for Ben. So, um, so uh, I think, like, given the fact that I voted like one and a half times for Efro, I'm I'm fine voting for him now that he's actually the most dominant player on the Pro Tour. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty pretty nice to like get the Hall of Fame just as your winning player of the year, right? <laughs> so, well, I mean, that's not been decided. Yet. No, no, no. But so the thing is, like. If you take it to the Would first... Would you bet against him? Uh, I mean, if I had to pick one person, I'd pick Sam Black. Really? He's okay. three points behind him. Sure. Um, the... The, uh... The thing where, where about... Where Sam Black fit into your, like, your... Your Hall of Fame calculations? Uh, I had him number 10, and I didn't even consider the fact that he has a... A win at the team worlds, which right. probably would have moved him up to like you know eight or so. But again, like Sam is kind of I look at him the same way that I look at like Willie Adel when it comes to 
like they're still on the pro tour like one of the top players right. and doing well and like I fully expect that in the next year or two that they're going to get that last finish or two that right, they right. need to like just be slam dunks so you know whether you have a one person ballot or like a three person ballot that includes some of these people or like whatever it is it's only really going to matter for someone that falls off right the, the thing is, like, if you take it to the furthest possible extreme, within a short period of time, inside of 10 years, you have, like, a substantial double-digit population of the Pro Tour, potentially. Like, it's close, it's, like, over 25% at some point. It's, like, 50% at some point that are just Hall of Fame uh, inductees. Right? If that, that's what happens if you don't if you don't ad- eventually adopt a small hall mentality. Sure. You, have a substantial, you don't want that, You have a substantial though. number of players that do not play on the Pro Tour. I mean, if the Pro Tour gets to a point where we have 300 people in the Hall of Fame, that means Magic's doing really well. well yeah. so, <laughs> that, that's kind of pretty far into the future. Well, no, no. So, I mean, look I mean, at it like I this. I gotta say, I don't mind the idea of there being a substantial class of players so, who have demonstrated a level of excellence over 10 years or more of a career, that it's like, you know what? You were able to come to the and, Pro and Tour whenever you want. Show up. Right. No, no, so think about it like this. I haven't done these stats in like two years, but for around the time when John was doing uh, consecutive uh, Pro Tour top hits, I was actually very curious. So I looked at like six or so um, Pro Tours by uh, by uh, uh, qualification class, right? And it was like convenient league around the time where there was like the Planeswalker points one. Yeah. So if you're like Planeswalker points, Hall of Fame, you know, pro level, whatever it is. And the the trends hadn't actually really changed in since the last, the first time they did it was in 1999. Uh, and in like the people who qualified on rating do so much better on average than people who qualify by qualifier. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's very stark, the, the sure. difference. Because um, uh, I always thought that, like, back in the day, I was like, well, ratings invites are kind of cheap, you know? You didn't have to win a tournament to, to get in. And Pro Tour, Pro Tour qualifiers have consistently done the worst on the Pro Tour, right? So, but Hall of Famers do colossally better than everybody else. The average money won by Hall of Famers is, like, five times the next highest category. So... I think that what you don't want to have, and this is like a, this is like a should, right? Uh, is you don't want to have a situation where the Hall of Famers aren't doing demonstrably better than everyone else, which I think is inevitable when you have too many Hall of Famers for two reasons. One, by definition, they bring down the average, right? The average now, the the, the average now changes, and then second. If, if you have a bunch of Hall of Famers who aren't as good as the top Hall of Famers, that's going to also dilute the, sure. the the finishes pool. But I just remind everyone this thing. We're not actually just supposed to only vote on results. That's results right. is only one of that's five categories. Yeah. So, like, it's actually only one of five. You're actually given strict instructions by Watsi about what we're supposed to vote they for. They didn't say how we should wait. You no, they, I agree. They, they allow you to wait all the You time. can wait them however you want, but... But all we ever talk about is finishes. But it's funny because I think you know you have four categories to one category, and I think people rate the one category like at the multiplier of four to one. So, uh, no, I think integrity is the highest. Do you? And then results a second. Well, integrity is just like binary, right? It's just yeah, like zero, you're one, off yeah. the ballot. You're Pass off ballot. my ballot. Yeah. So yeah. that's in the multiplier strategy, right? I think Worth Walpert was the one who 
who uh, first wrote about like all the categories are zero or, or you know or one, and then like then you make distinctions after that. Because I, I used to use a counting one, which was like you add the stacks yeah, instead did, of multiplying I, the stacks. Yeah, I did that. But I, I I weighted them all equally back in the day, which is why some of my ballots looked weird in the early years. Yeah. But I would actually argue like I think Brian Hacker should have been in the Hall of Fame. Sure. He was like highest on play skill. His his results were pretty good. He had like two Pro Tour top eights back then, Craig. Like there were only like most people who got in the Hall of Fame only had like three. I would like two was liked, only slightly below average. I would have liked Pacola to be in the Hall of Fame. But like his integrity was highest, and his play skill was highest, and his community contributions was highest. Like the only thing he was like slightly worse than average on results. Right. Like not even that much worse, right? right? He had a bunch of top, he had like a bunch was, of top there finishes. Were, there were a lot of people with fives at that point. Well, no, in the first couple of years, we inducted tons of people only had three. Randy had one. Well, right. Right. But I'm saying the first two years there was a lot of fives. All I'm saying is like, if that's the only thing you're going to count, right? Like Darwin had eight at the time. Is that yeah. right? You're right, we had double digits. We yeah, had a, John's the only one with double digits yeah. at the, the early days. But like, but. My point is, we inducted plenty of people in three, and Hacker scored an A-plus in the other four categories. Sure. His play skill was off the charts. His community contribution was highest. And, like, we... Like, people must not have been valuing them at all. Right. I don't, I don't think people value them very much. So, I'm going to probably Bounce? peel off here. All right. But, Craig, thank you so much Thanks for, for joining being us, roped into this. I really appreciate it. I know you were, like, leaving Friday Night Magic and thought you were going to go home or somewhere. The train is right there for him. There's a uh, Mal's Falafel still open for 45 more minutes. So yeah, excellent. I didn't Fine. actually miss dinner. It's just for later. All right. Thanks a lot, Craig. I'll, I'll bring you Falafel. Okay. I, make, I make a pretty mean Falafel. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, have you seen Brian's cooking show? It's on our it's on our other website. Let's make sure it's vegan. Uh, oh, I use egg. So oh, it's not vegetarian. All right, I'll pass. All right. Thanks. Just whip yeah, some soybean into that, yeah. man. Soybean oil. Does that work? Yeah. All right. Bye, Craig. Bye, Brian. Bye, Mike.